Hi there, my name is George and I help creators run successful campaigns with my company's YG Crowdfunding and Fantastic Funding. On this podcast, you'll hear from the creators themselves how they successfully launched their products, games, and businesses using crowdfunding so you can do the same. Our guests today are Bruce Shapiro and Micah Roth. They are the creators behind Sisyphus Industries and Sisyphus produces kinetic furniture, mainly tables, with sand inside where a robotic steel ball delights through the sand to create mesmerizing displays for the home. The first campaign started in 2016 and with the second campaign raised a combined $3 million. They have shipped around nine to 10,000 kinetic tables all over the world. And the current campaign, the Sidelight Kinetic Art Table is currently live and is about to hit $400,000 in funding with 11 days to go as of this recording. For those of us who are crowdfunding and design nerds, these campaigns and products are really iconic. Most people know them, and I'm super excited to be talking to the founder and the artist, Bruce Shapiro, and the co-founder and COO, and I guess resident maker based on what we see in the background there with all the 3D printers. So I'm very excited to talk to you guys. Welcome. Before we dive into the oranges of the project, which or at least the origins of Bruce's work, which I believe dates back to the 90s and involves egg robots. Let's talk about the current campaign you have running, because that's only 11 days left, the Silite Kinetic Art Furniture. What can you guys tell us about that current project? For those who haven't seen it, it's a kinetic art table with a new format. It was guided by function and what people wanted. The goal from the beginning of the company has always been to share art with everybody and anybody. And not everybody wants a circle-shaped coffee table. At its root, there's not a lot more to say about it, (laughs) except for that. It's also in line with kind of our goal as a company to continue innovating and make new furniture designs, uh, something that works for everybody. For those people that are listening and haven't seen any of this, Bruce, could you describe what people are looking at when they see one of your tables, whether it's the Scylab, which is square or the previous round ones, like visualize for us what people see when they see these tables. Essentially, you see a functional table, glass top. But what is striking is there is a, under the glass, there's a field of white sand and a ball seemingly magically rolling through the field, leaving in its wake dunes sand that's been pushed aside because obviously it's not magic and we don't children understand there's got to be a magnet ball indeed there's a two-axis robot under the same family moving a magnet under a computer control and spinning some raspberry pi that has pre-programmed tracks designs and since it's a robot these can be exceedingly precise and long and intricate so it it can produce really phenomenally complex and amazing patterns. There's also LED lighting around the circumference of the circle or the edge Ralph or Zyla. And that highlights the contrast because of the shadowing. So again, it's a completely functional table. You put things on it, easy to cool glass, but there's always an evolving change. Yeah, what's so striking about it as well is that because it's always in motion, you can be looking at the table one day and it's got one pattern and then an hour later, I guess it has a different design to it. So it's it looks like magical furniture that just morphs and transforms 
throughout the day. And I guess the LED lights that you've added add to that, right? Because the other thing I saw is that you have an app, a companion app to allow folks to program patterns and even like corporate logos, which I thought was very smart. So it's a really like fully connected table, right? Actually, from the beginning, it was strictly a IoT device in the sense that there is no on-off switch. There's no physical controls for it. Um, so it was made to operate with an app. Um, however, it's also intended to just plug in and work and, and create a um, calming environment or um, however it works. We have two history lessons to go through today. First of all, we have a Kickstarter history, and then we have Bruce's and Micah's history as artists and co-founders in the business. Because from a Kickstarter perspective, you launched the first campaign in 2016. And I believe that's also when Micah and Bruce, when you two met and teamed up, and correct me if I'm wrong. So talk me through around 2016, how this came to be a Kickstarter project that raised $2 million. And we'll start with you, Bruce. What happened leading up to launching this first campaign? The project in 2016 was something that Mike and I had worked on leading up maybe one, two years, but at least a year before. But I had been met Micah in 2012 at Makerspace in Minneapolis. We were both members. And I was there because... I had a commission to do an installation in Australia. And it was something I had changed the design and I needed a place to do at least a couple of iterations of prototyping in large space, plus a makerspace that had a CNC router, laser, thought it was primarily what I, what I needed. I found that at this makerspace and it became clear pretty quickly the stars were at the makerspace who was really good at making things and Micah stood out. We met pretty quickly and hit it off and over the next few years the idea that these museum sized pieces could be shrunk down to table size and people could live with them as opposed to seeing them occasionally at a science museum started to evolve and grow in our minds I think we bonded, especially in 2015, about a year before the Kickstarter. Micah came to Germany in Wolfsburg, where we had another three-meter installation. We worked well together. We started really thinking about launching the Kickstarter. And I think we were hoping to launch in 2016 in spring at the Bay Area Manta Fair. And we, we attended that. We set up and we were collecting mails by, by handwritten tablets, but we did delayed that till the October of 2016 because we weren't quite ready. And so we coincided that with the New York neighborhood. And uh, we were about one or two weeks into our campaign when we were at the New York neighborhood there, 2016. Okay. So we have an artist, Bruce. We have Mike who's working at a makerspace. You two meet each other. You two start thinking about doing this project together, but two makers or an artist and a maker does not necessarily equal a really successful $2 million Kickstarter campaign. There's a lot of things that go into that. Micah, what did you do to actually prepare for this campaign and make it so professional and so successful? That's a funny question because uh, mostly what we did to prepare for it was develop the product. Um, I, I think we, it's not always 
fair to kind of compare us to other companies starting up. I think where I was at least extremely fortunate to have been able to start uh, with Bruce on such a amazing product that does have such broad appeal. Um, so to a certain extent, it was just a matter of making it, being able to show it to people. We didn't do any paid advertising initially. Bruce had a email list of about 1,500 um, people who had kind of um, followed his kinetic artwork. And really, that was it. Uh, Bruce says this sometimes, and I, I don't like it that much, but the product can kind of sell itself. And I think this is maybe one of the only cases where Sometimes that's true. Do you feel, because you have that data now, you're running a campaign today in 2023 and you ran one in 2016, has the landscape changed? Is a good product enough or is there more that you need to do nowadays to promote it? Yes, there is a lot more we need to do to promote it. We don't have the benefit of it being brand new anymore because we've been around yeah. for seven years now. That's the main change. We've also learned what running a business actually means how to market stuff, how to have a brand awareness and some of those more traditional things. And as we've grown on the beginning, it was just Bruce and I, we can no longer do that. It's not possible. Unfortunately, I don't get to spend as much of my time just, just developing the products. So yeah, the, our landscape has changed a lot. Yeah. You just started this project. The product sold itself. But you did $2 million. Those $2 million hit your bank account <laughs> two weeks after the campaign closes. Were you prepared for that level of success at the time? No. <laughs> yeah, Bruce, because you've been an artist most of your life working on commissioned pieces. And without wanting to go into the stereotype of the, the struggling artist, there is definitely a big difference, right, between just making one-off art pieces and then all of a sudden having a consumer goods company with $2 million in the bank. How did you transition from being an artist to running a product company? There's one other founder that we're neglecting to mention. That's my wife. Uh, uh, she's our uh -huh. CFO and also, so there's, you know, there's three owners of the company and we now have another 13 employees. And again, Micah said, it was just Micah and myself at the time trying to make prototypes at Gateway to Corvus. My wife was intimately involved in getting the campaign together and and there, we didn't expect the success we had. At the time, we were working out of a small area in the makerspace, and so we had to scramble to find space. Neither myself, my wife, nor Micah had any prior experience with business. So we were really flying by the seat of our pants in terms of everything to deal with the business. And we had no idea what we were getting into. But fortunately, I think Mike is obviously a lot younger, but we were not in our you know, 20s or something. So we, we, although I think we didn't know how to price things, we were conservative by nature, which I think saved our ass a little bit because I, I, there's something extremely exciting about doing our first Kickstarter. And as if the, the numbers are going up, get fixated on these numbers. What we didn't realize, I think, perhaps many first Kickstarter people kind of don't realize is that it's really about fulfillment. But at the time of the campaign, it's very exciting. You said that $2 million hit the bank. Actually, it's 1.7 <laughs> because <laughs> Kickstarter takes 5%, credit card takes 3%. And then 
we talked, this was in October. So my wife and I and an accountant doing a personal accident and he said, he looked it up and the government treats, and this was back in 2016, I don't know if it's different, but treats crowdfunding revenue as income. So had we not quickly formed a company with, without thinking to the details, doing legal things, but we would have pretty much lost half of that, those funds that we needed to get things going to taxes immediately. Fortunately, we were able to not do that, but these were all things that we were completely unprepared for. Great piece of advice for creators. Definitely, yeah, think of those taxes because a lot of people tend to launch in fall and uh, yeah, tax season's around the corner when you do that. So the company today, you mentioned you have 13 employees. You're outside of these Kickstarters, you're shipping product on a regular basis. So you've built out an actual company do you still find some of that original joy in running this that you had in the beginning? Is it less joyful because you just have more things to think about? Or is it more joyful because you also have less things to worry about because you're not doing everything yourself? What is that difference? Yes and no. <laughs> we haven't men mentioned kind of how grateful we are for the staff we have. I Again, we're in a bit of a, I found myself in a bit of a unique space where when I when I go looking for uh, the people to hire the the people that turn up just turned out to be really special to us and we just have a great team um i've always got that to this day and i hope not to lose that yeah the day-to-day -day tasks a little more tedious we are running a business now more responsibilities our employees most importantly but it's yeah, we still get to enjoy what we're doing a lot we still have an awesome product that we get to work on with an awesome group of people Speaking of awesome products, let's take a deep dive into the past with Bruce's original egg bot. So I'll preface this by saying this is not all about eggs. Bruce has been an artist online. He's described as a motion control artist. Maybe today we would also call it a creative technologist. But basically, Bruce has this amazing overview of projects. And definitely, I recommend everyone check out the website taomc.com, the art of motion control, which I think is Bruce's sort of personal website, which has in the portfolio tab, some of the older ones that like basically a sand printer, incredible stuff. But one of the products that Bruce first did was the Eggbot. And the Eggbot, Bruce, you tell us what the Eggbot is. So going way back, love science as a kid and ended up going to medical school, met my wife in first year of medical school, we were both from Minneapolis. We trained together in Los Angeles, came back to Minneapolis. But when we came back to Minneapolis, I was working as an internist and I liked it. They had lunch called brown bag lunches or presentations where you go and doctors would give presentations on a subject and you go there, you your cold lunch. And I vividly remember that what led to Eggpot was uh, a urologist, a researcher. The title of the talk was Chaos Theory and Male Smooth Muscle of the Male Urethra. And during this, what was so mind-blowing to me is he showed pictures of fractals, which to me at the time was fairly new. To me, it was completely new. And the thing that stuck with me is these amazing, infinitely complex landscapes, pictures, were the product of a simple algorithm. It's very simple math where the output is spread back into the input. 
that governs how each pixel is painted. I ran into something called a stepper motive. And I realized, I didn't know how to hook it up, I had too many wires, but I realized it's a digital motor. So it basically took rotation, the spinning motor, and broke it up into pixels of motion, which I had then consumed with these fractals and computing pixel by pixel. And the light bulb went off in my head. Maybe you could use this kind of motion pixel to do art in Etico, to use this, purpose this toward making art and realize that nobody was excited by watching little tape flags on a motor. And my kids were young at the time. They were bugging me that Easter was coming up and I promised we would do some Easter egg coloring. And that's how Eggbot came about, which is basically an XY plotter, only a spherical coordinate. One motor turns the egg, the other motor, you know, east to west, and the other motor puts the pen north to south. And with that, you can draw the plot of the egg. It's for people who are unfamiliar with this, it's a little machine where one may insert an egg and it will start drawing these intricate patterns on the egg. It's really beautiful. I wouldn't say it's quite the eye catcher as a Sisyphus table, if you have this in your house to impress guests, but it's a wonderful little machine and it's a very sort of iconic maker product. So I, for me, it was actually surprised to find that you were both the creator behind the Eggbot and these beautiful tables. What is next for this company? You obviously have your campaign going on right now. We'll link it in the show notes for everyone who wants one of these beautiful tables at home. Because you've made this change from first it was only round tables and now you have square tables. But what does the next 10 years, 100 years look like for Sisyphus? We certainly hope to continue selling Sisyphus tables and our minis um, to the world. Um, but uh, we, we also, my business partner here happens to be a kinetic sculptor as well. And it's, it's not its only project. So yeah, we're starting actively starting to venture and developing some other products based on Bruce's and other artists' work as well. Yeah, no, we're, yeah, to me, it's really, it's never been about eggs or balls and sand. It's about being able to motion control. And the reason I shows that terribly unsexy term, it's an industrial term. It encompasses robotics, automation, animatronics. Um, robotics, I think, was spoiled for me because I think it's hard to think of a robot without it being a human sort of shape machine. For me, that's not like it's to try to see something that moves beautifully. And if I can do that, write programs and support to bottle that in a way that makes it accessible to other people, that's what I'm most looking for. There's a, at the very end of the Kickstarter video, I don't know how long it lasts. I think what we tried to do in that video was a little bit that although Zyla is not that big of a departure from above the sand, when you look at it, it's the same thing that's happening on the Sisyphus tables, except that there's a rectangular outline. Under it, at the end of that video, there's a small little teaser. It's completely different. I think it's very beautiful and it's interesting when it blows me away how very simple motion systems can exhibit really complex and beautiful that's very exciting so we have something new coming up so everyone has to check the last part of that video on the campaign and that's a great way to get people to the campaign page as well as we wrap things up micah what's maybe your number one tip 
to give other creators, makers who are in a maker space right now, tinkering away at something to launch a successful product business like you guys have, what would you want to tell those folks? Uh, certainly don't get discouraged and don't be afraid to fail. Easier said than done. I think we were afraid to fail, but it didn't stop us from doing it. Uh, that's probably the most important. And think about your taxes yeah. when you do have <laughs> a smash hit. Because you might have, you're working on something, it's hard, but it turns out to be a hit, like the Sisyphus table. Before you know it, $1.7 million lands in your bank account and the IRS is coming for you. So I think those are two wonderful pieces of advice. Thank you both so much for taking the time. I greatly appreciate it. It's been an absolute honor. I've been such a huge fan of, of your work for such a long time and your company. Everyone go check out Scylla, the Kinetic Art Table. It is still on Kickstarter by the time that we release this podcast. So when you're listening to this, it'll probably have around seven to five days left. So definitely go check it out. The link is in the show notes. And Bruce and Micah will appreciate your support on the campaign as they continue to bring kinetic art to the world. Thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.